Before we continue on in our time together in God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Give Him thanks for all that He has given us and pray for His wisdom and grace as we continue on together this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, it is our joy to gather here today and declare that you are Lord of all, that you reign supreme, that you are infinitely wise and good. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of endless praise. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes to see and believe this. We thank you for pouring out your grace and kindness upon us. Lord, we thank you for rescuing us from our sin and for giving us a kingdom that will never be shaken, for giving us a hope that is eternal. Lord, today we are assembled here that we might find encouragement in that truth, the truth of your grace, the truth of your good news, that you are the savior of sinners. Thankful that we are assembled here today that we might edify one another that we might honor you with our worship. Lord, we're thankful for the many blessings that you give us. Thankful for the blessing and gift of this local body of believers. Lord, may you continue to equip and strengthen us for your glory as we strive to advance the gospel and make disciples. And Lord, in that light, would you give us a heart that yearns to see this local community around us changed by your grace? Lord, would you give us a longing to see more and more people transformed by the power of the gospel? Grant us opportunities, Lord, to share. Give us encouragement and boldness to speak of your truth, of your gospel, where we have that opportunity. Lord, we know there are many needs around us. There are many who are living in darkness, many who are living without hope, consumed by the things of this world. Lord, would you help us to have hearts that break over them and that you would have, help us to joyfully engage them with the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing in our midst. We're thankful for the grace that you give us, the way that you sustain and strengthen us. And Lord, even now as we open your word, we ask for you to guide us, illuminate us, Help us, Lord, to not only understand what we hear and see today, but Lord, by your grace that you would help us to apply it, that we may look more and more like Jesus as we do. Lord, we're thankful for what you've given us. We're thankful for this truth of your word. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to live it. Help us to take delight in you as we do so, we pray. It's in Jesus' name that I do pray. Amen. Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Our text for this morning is Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 34. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Continuing on as we pick up from last week, the verses just before this, and now into these verses that are before us this morning. I want to read beginning in verse 22. These are the words of the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke writes, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, 
nor about your body what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single span, a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Last week, we looked at the previous verses there in verses 13 through 21, and we considered the topic that's raised there, this topic of covetousness or greed. And it's, as we said last week, this, this idea of coveting, we, we said, is, is a root sin. It rarely, if ever, stands alone. So many other sins stem from it. It's often subtle, lurking deep down within us. You, you can't see covetousness so easily. When you think about that, you, you can see or know when someone has lied verbally or you can see when someone has stolen. But I'm not sure that we can see when someone, even maybe someone this morning sitting beside you or in front of you, is coveting. It's one of those deep-rooted sins. And I think at the end of the day, when you push down into the core of our heart, this, this, this idea of covetousness really forces us to ask one simple question. Do we love God more than we love anything else? Do we treasure the gospel, the kingdom of God, God himself, more than we treasure all other earthly possessions and pursuits? Well, here in verse 22, Jesus continues his warning against covetousness. Recall back in verse 13, someone in the crowd asked Jesus to address a family dispute over an inheritance. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, someone from the crowd said to Jesus. And Jesus responds, notice he responds in verse 15. He responds to the man in verse 14, who may be a judge or arbitrator over you. And he said to them, this is what he says, listen, take care 
be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus follows that exhortation with the parable of the rich fool. And now he returns in verse 15, or excuse me, in verse 22 to address his disciples in view of what he said in verse 15. So if you were to just for a moment take and the parable of the rich fool and, and lay it aside, look at verse 15 again. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he gives an example to the rich fool. And now he picks back up as is, as in verse 22, as if he's continuing his thoughts. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food. It's the same thought. It's the same point that he's made back in verse 15 as he warned against covetousness. Be on your guard. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Jesus here is determined to make sure his disciples understand what the source and priority of their life ought to be. He does so, and as he does so, he continues to to address the sin of covetousness, and its impact on one's life by showing how it, covetousness, does other things. So he gives his disciples further instruction regarding covetousness as he points out how it, covetousness, greed, fuels other problems in our lives. And two things he says here in particular with regard that things with regard to things that stem from or that come from coveting. We're going to look at those two things together. So as he continues this, the very first thing that he says about coveting, he says this, he says, coveting leads to worry. See that in verses 22 through 30. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, put on. Why? For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. So as Jesus elaborates on the problem of coveting, he he turns to this issue of worry that comes from coveting. The more you desire, the more that you long for, the more you have to worry over. The more anxiety that is produced in our hearts. This word, often translated anxious, means to be torn apart. In fact, the English word comes from a German word that means to strangle. It's what happens when we grow anxious or worry. We're being strangled. We're being torn apart. And let's be honest. There's not a person in this room or watching via our live stream that hasn't worried or been anxious in some capacity. Some of you sitting here right here today are anxious about something. You are worried about something. There there are many things that we worry about. And while worry in a general sense is something Jesus would caution us against and, and encourage us, exhort us to put away, he says here in verse 22 that we should not be anxious about our life. 
a worry that specifically has to do with the basic needs of living, food and clothing. Jesus addresses worry because at its root, worry, anxiety, worry or anxiety, however you want to word that, at its root, it is a sinful lack of faith in the Lord. Worry, being anxious regarding the most basic needs of our life is a problem because it is an expression of a lack of faith in some way or another. In her book, The Envy of Eve, Melissa Kruger gets at the heart of coveting when she wrote, coveting does not result result because we don't have something. We covet because we fail to believe something. That's exactly, I think, what Jesus is expressing here, is that when you covet, you begin to worry and grow anxious, and in that moment, you are failing to believe something, namely something about God. Several reasons why worry is problematic for the follower of Jesus, for anyone in that matter, but he's addressing his disciples here. Even for us as Christians, why is worry a problem? Well, number one, worry distracts us. Verses 22 through 24, you see that. He says, for your life is more than food. Don't worry about the the things that you're going to eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Don't be caught up with, with these things. Don't be caught up with greed because it leads to worrying about things you don't need to worry about. He's saying that to be overly concerned with these things is to miss life's most important concern. Namely, the relationship that we have with God. And then he gives us an illustration as to why this shouldn't be. He says, consider the ravens. Not the Baltimore ravens, the other ravens. Consider the ravens. In Old Testament times, we know that a raven was often one of the least respected birds. Maybe that should say something about your football teams. I don't know. But it's clear in this text and in many other texts, even the Old Testament, that God cares for them. Consider the ravens. He, so he's just given a command, don't worry. For, because, why? Because life, the most basic needs of your life, is, is, is going to be met by the Lord. Don't worry because look at the ravens. Look at one of the most least respected creatures in creation. God cares for them. He cares for them. They neither sow nor reap. They've neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And then he makes this argument from the lesser to the greater of how much more value are you than the birds. If God's care is comprehensive for the ravens, then how much more you? They're more value than the ravens. Now, friends, it's important that we understand what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying, never think about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. He is not saying, because God is faithful to provide, stop working, stop planning, 
Stop everything. Just sit, and God's going to give you all that you need just spontaneously. That's not what this text is saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't work and plan. He's saying we shouldn't fret. We shouldn't grow anxious. We shouldn't be consumed to the point of of just an unhealthy worry and fear. Somehow God is not going to meet our needs. There is a distinct difference between worry and anxiety and responsibility. So this is in no way a call to laziness. It's rather a call not to be consumed with such matters to the point that we miss the most important matter of life. Think about that. When we covet, when we long for something that we don't have or we want more and more and more, that only increases the the opportunities to worry, doesn't it? It only increases the anxiety of our hearts because as we're pursuing more and more and more, we're worried that we don't have. We grow anxious. And worry is problematic because it distracts us from that which is important, from that which is ultimate. It distracts us from trust, from contentment, from joy, and ultimately from enjoying the one who is the source and sustainer of our life. Worry and anxiety says God isn't able, God doesn't care. God isn't aware. When we worry, when we're anxious, that's what we are saying to some degree. And yet, he reminds us that if you'll just simply look at the ravens, that not only is God aware, not only does God care, he is completely and sufficiently able to meet your every need. Friends, when we worry, when we are anxious, we are saying something about our belief in God. Whether or not He is sovereign, whether or not He can be trusted. Worry takes us away from a confident, joyful, content trust in an all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful God and shows that our trust is resting somewhere, somewhere else. Worry and anxiety are expressions of unbelief. Jesus says in verse 22, or excuse me, verse 28, that it's a lack of faith. doesn't say that faith is completely absent. He just says, oh, you have little faith. And so, friends, how we respond to even our most basic needs, how we respond to even our most basic needs, whether or not we trust or whether or not we worry, is a statement of what we truly believe about God. And so what happens when we begin to worry and grow anxious is that we grow distracted away from the true source of our joy and hope, the one who provides all that we need. Number two, 
Not only does worry distract us, worry cannot change our circumstances. Look at verse 25 through 28. Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. Neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus highlights here what we could say that the uselessness of worry. Nothing is gained through worry. In verse 26, Jesus concludes, if that's the case, then why should you worry? If someone can't do a little thing like add time to one's span of life, then why worry about other matters that are well beyond our ability to control? And then he calls them to consider yet another example. Already the ravens, and now he says, consider the lilies. Consider the grass. You're more important than flowers and more important than grass, just as you're more important than the ravens. If God clothes them in all of their beauty, then how much more will he meet your every need and clothe you? It's the fact that Jesus here, in essence, rebukes them in verse 28 for having little faith. I think this shows how even as disciples, we are prone to forget these things. So it's here for us. It's here for his disciples. It's here for us to be reminded that we are prone to forget the kindness and generosity and care of God. And as we're prone to forget these things, Jesus is rebuking, he's instructing here, listen, oh, you of little faith, look to these examples in creation and be reminded that if God cares for the small things in this creation, He will care for you as an image bearer. Even when things are out of our control, many things are. This is a reminder and call to us that we can always trust that God has everything under his control. It may not feel like it, it may not seem like it, it may not look like it, but it's a reminder that in fact he does. And he can be trusted. Love the great quote from Charles Spurgeon where he talks about the sovereignty of God and he talks about the sovereignty of God being the the pillow upon, upon which he lays his head every night. And that's what we're being called to here is understand that worry distracts us from that which is most important. We get caught up with things that God's promised to give us And worry can't change circumstances. You're not going to be able to change a circumstance if you worry enough about it. Number three, worry disregards God's care. Verse 29, and do you not, excuse me, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Listen, 
and your Father knows you need them. Jesus gives a contrast here with regards to worry. He says, worry is what the world does. The world consumes itself with these sorts of things, but God knows what you need. And you can rest assured that he will give you everything that you need. Friends, when we worry, we are no different than the world. Worry is fruit of a deficient faith in an all-sufficient God. And listen, all of us are guilty of this. If you just happen to be one that's more prone to worry than others and you think that we're picking on you today, listen, we all worry to some degree. And this is just a reminder to us to, 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 to be reminded that God can be trusted, that God is sovereign, that he's a God of providence and order, and that, that his ways will prevail, and that, that his word is, is trustworthy and true. And that even at the very basic level of your most basic of needs, God can be trusted for everything you need. He, he provides for even the, the small things of creation, and he will provide for you. I love this, this one phrase that Jesus says. He says, the nations of the world seek everything. And listen, and your father knows you need them. God is aware of every need you have. In fact, God is perfectly aware, not only of every need you have, of every need you don't even realize you have. He knows because he sees, he knows all things. He is omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is everywhere at all times, he knows everything. There's nothing that is hidden from the knowledge of God. Here he points to the fatherhood of God. Your father, your father knows what you need. He knows. Every detail of your life, past, present, future, he knows. And not only does he know, his resources are unlimited. He points here to the fatherhood of God and affirms that he is compassionate and caring and he will meet the needs of his children. But yet, friends, we know we can allow the worries of this life to eclipse the fact that God knows every need we have and cares for them infinitely more than we can. So, one of the problems with coveting is that it leads to this issue of worry. The more you long for that you don't have, the more you have to worry over. The more you have to be anxious about. We see here why worry is so problematic because it's ultimately a statement about the condition of our faith. But number two, second reason why coveting is a problem is that coveting misplaces our priorities. See that in verses 31 through 34. One of the problems with greed or covetousness is that it competes 
with the true thing that should be the priority of our hearts, namely the kingdom of God. Notice he says in verse 31, you see the contrast, don't you? He's just, in, he's just instructed us, he's just commanded, do not worry about these things. Consider the ravens, the lilies, the grass. Your father knows what you need, consider that. Instead, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now this is not some promise that if you'll make God's kingdom your number one priority, then all your problems will go away. Your life will be easy. If God's kingdom becomes your priority, then all the problems go away and your life is just filled with ease. You can hear that preached today. You can just go listen to the prosperity gospel preachers. They'll tell you that all day long. And they're lying. He's saying, don't be consumed with even your most basic needs. Don't be distracted by things God has promised to provide for you. Rather, if you're going to be consumed with something, be consumed with the kingdom of God. Let that be your driving, compelling focus. Don't be distracted by these things. Be consumed with the kingdom, and as you do, you can rest confidently that your needs will be met. The actual tense here is that a disciple should keep seeking the kingdom. It's a continual activity that you just don't do this once and say, okay, I sought the kingdom, next. No, it's a continuous seeking. It's a continuous priority that needs to be placed before you each and every day. And friends, coveting will rob you of that priority. Several things that we should recognize here about prioritizing God's kingdom. What do we need to know about this? Number one, prioritizing the kingdom leads to enjoyment of God's generosity. See that in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus here assures his disciples with tenderness as he refers to them as little flock. Gives us the image here of a fragile people prone towards a misplaced fear, prone towards worry and anxiety. And it's this little flock that, that he tenderly shepherds and cares for. Having given them already a picture of God's fatherly care, Jesus now underscores God's care as a shepherd. He is our father and he is our shepherd. He is the one that tends to his flock. Seems to be saying here that if you will prioritize the kingdom of God, it will be God's delight in giving you the kingdom, in giving you the blessings of this kingdom. For God is the great shepherd who cares deeply for the needs of his own, and he will give us all that we need to live and to enjoy life as citizens of this everlasting kingdom. You may be thinking, well, what is this kingdom? Maybe you're with us, you're new, maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're watching or you have questions about Christianity. If you're not new to it, maybe you're, you're considering what all of this, this language about a kingdom is. Friends, it's just a, a way to describe God's sovereign rule 
in some ways over all creation, but specifically in a saving way. This is God's saving rule over a people he calls his own. And there's a way to enter this kingdom. You're not born into this kingdom like you were born into this nation, a naturalized citizen, most of you. That's not how it works with the kingdom of God. You have to be born again in order to enter this kingdom that Jesus is speaking of, understanding that God is the sovereign ruler of all creation, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, that he has absolute authority over all things and he has given us a law to live by and to obey as the king. And yet none of us have. Every single one of us has broken his commands and turned our backs against his law. We are guilty, we are lawbreakers. And because of that, we deserve to be cast out, to be kept out of this kingdom forever. We, we don't deserve to be part of this, this rule, this saving rule that God established. And yet by his grace, God sent forth his son into the world, Jesus, who came and lived a life of obedience and yet died upon a cross shedding his blood. And the Bible talks about how without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And as Jesus died to bear the guilt and shame of sinners, he does so that our sins can be forgiven and so that we can be rightly reconciled with the holy God, so that we can be brought into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, friend, if you're here and you're thinking about what does this idea of kingdom mean, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to be part of this kingdom, the Bible will tell you very clearly the way that you become part of this kingdom is by forsaking your hope and trust in all other things in this life. Understand that you're a sinner deserving of God's rightful judgment and that you would put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ where your sins would be forgiven. You'd be counted righteous in God's sight and be welcomed into this kingdom forever. And it is God's joy to give the kingdom to sinners. You see that here. It's God's good pleasure, the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Whenever we covet, we're not only distracted from the priority of God's kingdom, what we're doing is we're settling for too little. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, our problem is not that we want too much, it's that we are satisfied with too little. And that's really what we're doing when we're coveting and worrying. We're, we're, we're seeking satisfaction in that which is way too small. A covetous heart, a heart that's filled with worry, wants more, wants this degree, wants this bigger home, wants this updated car, wants an easy life, wants uh, to advance their career, wants this and this and this. And God says, I'll give you the kingdom. You want these things, you become consumed with these things that will not last beyond this world. And that's what overwhelms you, fills you with worry and anxiety. And you just become so overwhelmed with these things. And God's standing here saying, listen, little flock, you'll just seek my kingdom. It's my pleasure to give it to you. A kingdom that outlasts this life and that's filled with everlasting joy. There is no wealth, there is no possession 
or series of possessions in this life that you can add up for yourself that will ever rival the kingdom of God and the blessings that come with it. So when we prioritize the kingdom, we are able to enjoy the generosity of God who delights in giving this kingdom to his people. Number two, prioritizing the kingdom values people over possessions. Look at number 30, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. See the difference between those who covet and those who are filled with anxiety and worry and those who prioritize the kingdom is clearly seen in how they utilize the blessings they are given. Those who covet are consumed by possessions. They live for themselves. Those who prioritize the kingdom live for the good of others. At the heart of Jesus' ministry and kingdom ethic is this concern for others rather than for oneself. Remember the second greatest commandment. Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. It's an interesting thing, Jesus says. It seems radical, doesn't it? Our immediate response to that is to say, well, what does he really mean here? Surely he's not asking me to sell stuff and actually give to people in need. And then we start justifying, well, these people wouldn't be in need if they would do this, this, and this. And we come up with all these reasons why we shouldn't give to the poor. He doesn't say anything about that. He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Again, he's not saying that a person who prioritizes God's kingdom is to sell everything that you have and become poor so that others become rich in material possessions. He's saying that a person who prioritizes God's kingdom will not be caught up with the idolatrous pursuit of riches. Instead, they will willingly give up things in order to help care for and meet the needs of others. It's a perspective that says, Lord, my possessions aren't mine. They're yours. How can I use them for your glory and purposes? So instead of being consumed with covetousness, greed, and worry, a right focus on the kingdom frees us up to be generous with the possessions we have been given so that we might care well for others. Friends, it's a reminder to us that a person who has been redeemed by the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ will have a different agenda that marks the course of their lives. Doing good to those who are poor and marginalized, listen, is a Christian thing. I'm so tired of hearing Christians argue over this. Jesus clearly says it is. It's a thing you do as a Christian. No, it's not a thing that you do to become a Christian. Advancing the gospel is not caring for the poor. Advancing the gospel is telling people how they can be saved reconciled with the holy God, but as a Christian who has been reconciled with the holy God, we are called to go care for the needs of others. It's a reflection of the character of God and the gospel that has changed us. Doing good, serving the poor, 
giving to help others in their time of need. Being generous. Engaging causes that help reduce poverty. All of these are godly actions that not only bring glory to God, not only do they help others in their time of need, but listen, when you begin living a kingdom ethic like that, I guarantee you it will help reduce greed and covetousness in your heart. Prioritizing the kingdom reminds us that we are called to value people over possessions. And number three, prioritizing God's kingdom results in lasting treasure. It says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or no moth destroys. Then he says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus concludes this thought with this call and reminder. As those who pursue a life of generosity, you show that the treasure you seek is not earthly treasure. And in these final two verses, Jesus is really addressing one crucial question. Where is your heart? We can go back to that question earlier that we asked at the very beginning that covetousness really presses in on. Do we love God more than anything else? Do we treasure the gospel, the kingdom of God, more than we treasure anything else? If your heart is fixed on the things of this world, how much you make, how much you own, then such coveting will not only lead to a life of worry, it will lead to a life that seeks to lay up treasure that will perish. This idea of a thief coming or moth destroying is this idea of, of just the, the temporal nature. It can be stolen, it can be taken away, it can, it can just erode. But if our focus is heavenly, if our hearts are driven by the kingdom of God and God's priorities, then it will show in lives marked by contentment and joy in the Lord. There's a life that is attached to our possessions becomes a stumbling block because it leads to more and more and more anxiety. And it leads to a life that is distracted away from the kingdom of God, the things that ultimately matter. But a life that holds our possessions with a loose grip, understanding that everything that we have comes from the Lord and belongs to him. If we, if we live a life that holds these possessions with a loose grip and one that seeks the kingdom of God above all else, that will be a life marked by satisfied joy and generosity in how we love others around us. Brothers and sisters, consider the pursuits of your own hearts. What is it that you truly treasure? What is it that your actions and your spending, your motivations are compelled by, motivated by. Where do you spend most of your time, your focus, your resources? Is it evident that you're building up for yourself treasure in heaven or on earth? This is a plea from our Savior for us not to be satisfied with too little. 
The greatest riches of this world pale in comparison to the riches we find in God's kingdom. Our eyes, our desires, our pursuits are often set on things that will not last. And Jesus is here calling us to prioritize the very thing that will last. So we must hold the things in this world with a loose grip. Our possessions, our plans, our pursuits, our politics, everything. All of these must have their place, but they must be seen as a far second to the priority of God's everlasting kingdom. Prioritizing God's kingdom results in lasting treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's evident where your heart is based upon what treasure you're pursuing. You know, there are many ways we can contrast the Christian life with that of the world. And from this perspective, we see that the worldly person is marked by greed and covetousness and worry and fear. They're anxious. They live only for what they can gain for themselves and when they're not gaining enough, they worry more. Whereas the follower of Jesus is marked by a contentment in generosity as he or she seeks to live a life centered upon the kingdom of God and the priorities that flow from that kingdom. There's an old hymn written long ago by Samuel Stennett, that hymn called On Jordan's Stormy Banks. And the chorus of that hymn goes like this, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and wish a castful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Is there such truth in that chorus? We have, we may have possessions here in this world, but our true and lasting possession lies in that fair and happy land that transcends this world. And as a result, Jesus calls us to be reminded of such truth. He reminds us that we should not be consumed by greed and worry. Rather, we should be consumed with his kingdom and his grace, laying up for ourselves treasure that will last forever. And as such, May we be confident that God will supply all we need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And as he does so, we can confidently give our focus and our attention to a kingdom he so graciously and generously gives us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Reminder and rebuke. As we hear these words, Lord, we all can assess our own hearts and see areas where we worry and grow anxious. We consume ourselves with unnecessary worries. And we forget the promises you've made to us. 
that you will supply all our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ. So Father, would you help us? Would you help us to confess and repent of worry, of anxiety that that consumes us over even our most basic needs? Would you remind us as we look to the ravens and the lilies and the grass that if you so care for them, you will care for us. And that we can rest knowing that truth so that we can give our attention, not to our basic needs, Lord, we can give our attention to your kingdom and live for your glory. Father, would you continue to speak to our hearts through this text and not only now, but Lord, throughout this day and throughout this week and help us to realize how blessed we are, how generous you are, and how much we've been given. Lord, would you help us to live for your kingdom and to lay up treasures in heaven that will never perish. Lord, convict us and transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.